Good evening. You're listening to WNUR 89.3 FM, HD1, Evanston, Chicago. I'm Gabby Shell, and this is WNUR News at 6. Tonight, life stories from Northwestern students, chick flicks, an underrated genre, and a look at the state of COVID-19 today. These stories and more coming up from Northwestern University. This is WNUR News at 6. This year, Anavi Prakash's New Year's resolution came a bit late. Listen to how she created her resolution and is applying it to her everyday life. A lot of people make New Year's resolutions, but they rarely stick to them. I'm definitely one of those people. However, this year, I'm going to change that. I didn't know what my resolution was going to be until 13 days into the year. But once I met a security guard who is walking the distance equal to around the earth, I figured it out. I'm going to talk to more people about their lives and the stories they have. Today, you're going to get a sneak peek into some of the people I've met so far. The best question to start off a conversation I found is, what's on your bucket list? Then that spirals into other questions like, what's the best thing you've ever eaten? The best thing I've ever eaten. Mmm, that's hard. Honestly, it was probably at this like really sketchy stall in China. They have spicy noodles. They're the best noodles ever. Probably unsanitary because they're just cooking them on the side of the street. I gobbled it up. That was Weinberg freshman Kevin Hu, who describes himself as a foodie and wants to eat his way around the world. Some of his favorite foods have come from his visits to China to visit his grandparents. Every time we go to China, we always have to get a hot pot. Hot pot's amazing, highly recommend. Great for cold weather like this. I really like spicy foods, all the spicy Chinese food. It's all good to me. One of his core memories with Hot Pot is when his sister put what he thought was tofu in his bowl. I ate it, but he's kind of funky. I was mm, like, you're lying to me. And she's like, haha, lol, it's blood. I think it's duck blood. We eat that in Hot Pot. I've never had it before, so I kind of freaked out and puked, but it, it didn't taste that bad. It was actually pretty good. I eat it now in Hot Pot. He found a food he loves by chance, and I would never have known that if I hadn't asked about his favorite food. Stories like this are why talking to strangers is my New Year's resolution. The catalyst for this resolution is a Northwestern security guard, who I will refer to as RF for legal reasons. RF has been walking an average of 13 miles a day since August 2022. On July 1st of this year, he will have walked the distance equivalent to once around the earth. I met him while he was making rounds in my dorm, trying to get 13 miles before midnight. RF has walked through all kinds of weather, and the cold front this week was not special. He said he would go to a shopping mall or the Robert Crown Community Center if he had to, but he prefers to walk outside. He said his neighbors have seen him go out for walks multiple times a day, and some think he's crazy for doing this. Nonetheless, a year and a half in, RF is going strong. He is set to complete the walk around the bay. He says to celebrate, the next day will be a no-walking day for him. RF's story fascinated me because first, have you ever heard of anyone walking around the earth 13 miles at a time? The average American walks two miles a day, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That is significantly less than RF. Second, I would never have known this about him if I hadn't been in the right place at the right time. That's why this year, I want to create the right place at the right time so that I can learn more about people and their lives. I hope you were equally as captivated by these stories as I was. Hopefully, 
This serves as a nudge for you to stick with your resolutions or create one now. It's never too late. That's all for now. Speak to you next time. From WNUR News, I'm Anavi Prakash. No one calls a World War II lover basic, but a teenage girl who loves a good chick flick? How typical. Chick flicks are notoriously underrated. But why? Alyssa Rubin has the story. Think about these three films, Superbad, American Pie, and Project X. What genre would you classify them as? Teenage boy films? Guy movies? Although we all acknowledge that these three films have a targeted audience, isn't it strange that they aren't given a clear name? The term chick flick usually garners two possible reactions, either an I love a good chick flick or an I don't watch girly movies. If both genders have specifically marketed films, why does society minimize the value of the films advertised to teenage girls? The concept of cultural capital refers to a certain group or individual's social assets and importance in a community. In our society today, teenage girls hold little to no cultural capital. It's pretty difficult to think of even one thing that teenage girls stereotypically enjoy and aren't mocked for. From Harry Styles to Taylor Swift, fashion and makeup, and even the types of pictures that they post on social media, teenage girls are constantly put down for the things that they enjoy. Society equates the activities and people that teenage girls like with frivolity and unimportance. Unfortunately, chick flicks fall into that category. When male critics review movies marketed toward teenage girls in an overly negative way, the critics often drag down the public's general opinion of chick flicks as a whole. Nico Lang writes, quote, When the mass of male critics rate movies for women lower than women do, it has a powerful overall effect on how these films are received by the public, bringing down the average tomato meter of movies aimed at women by nearly 6%, end quote. A large contrast between society's perception of stereotypically feminine and masculine things often leads people to judge feminine pop culture artists, makeup, fashion, and chick flicks as superficial, mindless, and basic. Legally Blonde's Elle Woods uses her femininity and kindness to her advantage when pursuing her degree at Harvard Law. The Devil Wears Prada's Andy learns the value of hard work while adopting the fashion industry and understanding that success and ruthlessness do not have to be synonymous. Mamma Mia emphasizes the strength of female friendships and fun over decades. The lighthearted nature of these films is refreshing, and the stories praise women for their imperfections and femininity, rather than tear them down. To understand the value of these films in our society and on our campus, I talked to some Northwestern women, asking them their favorite chick flicks and why. Hi, can you tell us your name, your favorite chick flick, and why you like it? Hi, I'm Louise, and I don't know if Bridesmaids counts as a chick flick, but that's my favorite chick flick. I think that they're all such good friends, and it's so sweet. My name is Sophie Pong, and my favorite chick flick is Legally Blonde because it's just a good movie. 
Hi, my name is Eliza Fisher, and my favorite trick flick is probably Booksmart because as someone who just graduated high school, it's super apt and it's a lot of fun. Hi, my name is Anaya. My favorite is Clueless because I find something new every time that makes me laugh. Next time you hear someone groaning over the idea of watching a chick flick, suggest your favorite girly film. They may be surprised to find just how fun and valuable this genre really is. From WNUR News, this is Alyssa Rubin. As COVID restrictions seem more and more like a thing of the past, should we still be scared of the virus that overtook 2020? Alex Huerta has the story. The world seems normal again. I spent the first few days of December busy scrambling through TSA, buying meals from vending machines and trudging through the boarding line. Everything you would expect from an airport. But when passing my gate, I saw a small, unnoticed sign. Please wear a mask. It seems normal again, but is it? There are moments in the day that seem like we've moved past COVID, but then we hear it. <coughs> it's something that brings back memories from three years ago. And then the question comes up, should we still be scared of COVID? Right now we're in the second biggest wave of the pandemic. It's only behind the Omicron variant. Uh, and that was the deadliest outbreak that was in January, February, early March of 2022. Um, we're not at that level of deaths. That got to 4,000 deaths a day. You just heard from Professor Stephen Thrasher, the Daniel Renberg Chair of Social Justice and Reporting at Medill, and a faculty member of the Institute of Sexual and Gender Minority Health and Wellbeing. He is also the author of The Viral Underclass, The Human Toll When Inequality and Disease Collide. Today, we're averaging right now about 200 to 250 known deaths, although the counting is not nearly as precise. That statement might bring you back to the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, but Thrasher is actually referencing numbers that are being posted and still being tracked today by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC. I, th I think as from the beginning, there's a lot of really different political voices on on. COVID and how it should be treated. And that's still continuing today, even though it's much more muted now, right? The conversation, because it's less of an emergency. It's become an endemic disease. You just heard from Professor So King Oh, medical historian and public health practitioner. Her research spans various fields, such as international public health, as well as inequities in humanitarian relief, among other subjects. I'll be one of maybe like two or three people masking and uh, sometimes it's just me. Friends and even just people I meet sometimes will like see that I'm masking and ask like, oh, do you, do you want me to? Uh, so I know it's like not that everybody is against masking. I think it just doesn't come to mind for a lot of people. That was Seeger Gray, a third year Northwestern student who still masks and was willing to help provide his own perspective. So if people no longer seem to prioritize COVID restrictions, but as mentioned by Professor Thrasher, cases and deaths continue to rise, should we still be scared of COVID going forward? If uh, trying to make people afraid of COVID 
would get us to take it seriously, then it probably would have worked by now. I, I, th I think people have uh, probably become desensitized to being afraid of COVID. I don't think there's a real use in being afraid of it. I think we can be cautious. We should always be a bit cautious, especially still with the um, populations who are vulnerable and they continue to be vulnerable. I don't think scared or fear is the right word. Fear usually doesn't um, help a lot, but we should certainly be taking it much more seriously than we are. And I guess it, it would be okay to say, yes, we should be more, more afraid of it uh, than we are right now because there's a very blasé attitude towards it at this time. Um, we have a lot of tools to deal with it, but they are not politically and economically accessible. Fear appears to be controversial, but as more of the population strays away from the COVID restrictions that marked the start of the pandemic, what does that mean for individuals who still are the most vulnerable to the sickness? People who are uh, immune compromised really can't go many places. Some of them felt you know, comfortable doing so when there was universal masking, but now that there are no protocols, they feel very frightened. I keep reading accounts of people who um, don't feel safe getting medical care because they're you know, compromised. They, they don't feel like they can go to the dentist because their dentist is no longer masking, or they don't feel like they can um, you know, see a, a general practitioner doctor or go to the ER because once you go to the ER, you're suddenly around a lot of people who are sick um, and the ERs are not requiring masks. There's a dissonance between what news is being discussed and what is happening beyond it. People are still being affected by the disease, but that no longer is a priority in people's lives. A great deal of evidence has shown, for example, you know, and you know this, that um, African-Americans, Native Americans, Latino populations, um, lower income populations, uh, there are other disparities that are not about health issues at all that uh, continue to uh, affect outcome. And those kinds of things were not well addressed during COVID, and they're still not well addressed um, now that COVID is, has become endemic, essentially. But in order to reach after COVID, moving forward requires building a stronger form of emotional and political framework. The one emotion that I would say is most important to to feel a sense of care at this time, um, one, for yourself, and two, even if one is vaccinated or not uh, thinking that they're high risk, even though they can be mistaken about that, there's sort of a rhetorical deflection going on amongst um, those who don't particularly want something like universal health care, where there's this association um, with health care as a privilege rather than a right that everyone should have. And unfortunately, that privilege is really tied to your socioeconomic status. Things seem normal, but they aren't yet. Many have reached the point where they no longer feel bound to a mask. But that means ignoring a population of people that have been glossed over as restrictions have been dissolved. In order to address COVID in our time today, things shouldn't seem normal. They should simply be it. And that begins through acknowledging that although we shouldn't be scared of COVID, we need to be aware of it. For WNUR News, I'm Alex Huerta. It's Thursday and the winter season is in full swing. Amelia Donhauser gets you caught up on everything you need to know about Northwestern sports. Hi, I'm Amelia Donhauser. Here's your NU Sports Report for this week. In men's basketball on Wednesday, the 12-4 Cats faced off at Welsh Ryan against the Maryland Terps, coming off a brutal loss to then number 15 Wisconsin in Madison. 
In a close game, the Cats won 72 to 69. Star guard graduate student Boo Booey again led the way with 20 points and seven assists. Junior Brooks Barnheiser had 15 points with a career high of five steals. In a close game at the half, Bowie made a floater at the buzzer to give the Cats the lead at halftime, 32 to 28. The Terps kept it close the rest of the way thanks to the efforts of Jameer Young, who had 36 points. With 30 seconds remaining in the game, Young gave Maryland the lead 67-66. But the Cats quickly retook the lead with a buoy layup with 20 seconds left as they squeezed out the win. The now 13-4 Cats are 4-2 in Big Ten play and third in the conference behind Wisconsin and Purdue respectively. They will travel to Nebraska on Saturday to face the Huskers at 1.15 p.m. Central Time. And in women's basketball, after coming off a blowout loss from their in-state rivals, the Fighting Illini, the Cats looked to get back on course as they took on the Michigan State Spartans in East Lansing. Despite their best efforts, the Cats couldn't capitalize, losing 91-72 to to the Spartans. Junior guard Melanie Daly led the way for the Cats with 18 points and two rebounds. Junior guard Haley Weaver had 15 points, four rebounds, and two assists. The Cats struggled from the beginning, having eight turnovers at the end of the first quarter, and the Spartans had 17 points off turnovers at the half. At, half, at halftime, the Cats were down 50-28. to the difference was that the Spartans had six players in double digits, while the Cats only had three in the game. Overall, the Cats are now 7-11 and 2-5 and in Big Ten play. The Wildcats will return home to Welsh Rhine next Thursday to face off against Penn State at 7 p.m. Central Time. And in swimming and diving, on Saturday, the Cats traveled to UChicago just down the road where they dominated the D3 Maroons. On the women's side, they ended with a 221-69 victory with graduate student Ayla Spitz leading the way. She placed first in the 1,000-yard freestyle, 100 butterfly, and 100 free. Spitz beat her personal best in both the butterfly and the free with times of 53-46 and 49-64, respectively. The women won each of the 16 events raced, and on the men's side, they won 221-73 with the help of first year's David Gerchik, Diego Nozak, and graduate student Ben Forbes. Nozak won the 200 fly and the 200 IM. Gerchik won the 50 free and the 200 back, with Forbes women winning the 200 and 500 free. UChicago senior Jesse Sazenzongi was the only Maroon to win an event on the day as he came .04 seconds short of a D3 record for the 100 fly. The Cats will host Wisconsin on January 20th at 11 a.m. Central for their first Big Ten matchup of the season. And finally, in fencing, the Sabre number 5 Cats competed at the Tufts Invitational this past Sunday, taking one of three on the day. In the first event, the Cats lost 21-6 to, to number 10 Cornell, going 2-7 and seven in Epe, 3-6 and six in Foil, and 1-8 and eight in Sabre. In the second event, the Cats lost to Wellesley 14-13, although first-year Alex Chen and senior Levi Hugendorn were undefeated 3-0 in the Sabre team. Yet their valiant efforts were not enough. And in the final event on the day against Tufts, the Cats dominated 21-6 overall with a breakdown of 8-1 in Epe, 6-3 in Foyle, and 7-2 in Sabre. First-year Alex Chen posted a team best of six individual victories. Next Sunday, the Cats will visit UPenn for the Philadelphia Invitational. That wraps up your NU Sports Report for this week. For more information about upcoming events, as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit www.nusports.com. I'm Amelia Donhauser, WNUR News. Taking a look into the headlines in Evanston, Chicagoland, and across the nation. Yesterday, the Northwestern Associated Student Government passed two resolutions. 
The first creates a day of remembrance for Northwestern veterans, and the second updates the current ASG campaign finance guidelines. Mayor, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson suspended the city's six-day limit for migrants staying in city shelters. The extension will last until at least February 1st, giving families an extra week to prepare. In national news, Congress passed a bill earlier today to prevent a government shutdown. The bill extends funding until early March, allowing lawmakers six more weeks to come to an agreement about government spending. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on X at WNUR News and Instagram at WNUR News 89.3. You can listen to these and other NUR News stories on our website, WNURnews.org. That's WNURnews.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our pro producer today is Jesse Chen, and our reporters are Anavi Prakash, Alitza Rubin, Alex Huerta, and Amelia Donhauser. I'm Gabby Shell. Catch our ne next newscast Friday, January 19th. Now, back to scheduled programming.